I want you to take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. It's good to see you this morning. Very thankful that we can worship God together as a church family. Uh, we should never take that for granted, especially in this day of COVID, <laughs> where so many churches for a season had to uh, close their doors, or I shouldn't say had to, but they chose to. But thankful to the Lord that we're here. We're able to worship God. And so let's begin with prayer. Father, it is our joy to be in your presence, to worship you with song, to experience uh, the worship of children as they sign a song for us, that we would be able to hear the word of God and now have opportunity to understand even further what the text is saying, that we might be able to worship you more deeply. To the degree that we know you, we are able to worship you. And I pray that, Lord, today we would grow deeper in our love, in our understanding, and in our worship. Just like Peter said, that he wanted the church to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, may that be our goal today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we are going to unpack the sermon that Peter preached, the very first sermon that's preached in the church age. And as we begin, my prayer is that this message will have a two-pronged effect. First, it will touch the heart of any person that's here who does not know Jesus Christ personally. And secondly, that we believers might recognize our calling of God and we would learn how to share the message of the redemptive history of God through this sermon that Peter preached. This really is a message for the messenger or messengers. Each of us are called by God, filled with the Holy Spirit to, and empowered to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and for us, the uttermost parts of the world, namely Indian River County. That's a starting point, amen? And so that's why we're here. Today we focus on this sermon and let me just say that uh, this is not the only message that's recorded in the book of, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, actually, there are eight sermons by Peter, nine sermons given by the Apostle Paul. There, are, there, was, there is one sermon given by Stephen, another by James. I think that brings the total to about 19 significant messages that God spoke through these men of God. And that makes up, believe it or not, 25% of the book of Acts. So when Luke, at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, actually tells us, he said, in this first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So when he started the gospel, his focus was to record the things that Jesus both did and the things that he taught. Well, he carries that theme right into the book of Acts. And we see a lot of, not just doing, you know, Acts is known for many, it's Acts of the Apostles, others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I, I just call it the Acts of God. I mean, it's, every bit of it belongs to God. He's the one that's doing the work. And it's not just Acts, it's, it's teaching. It's a lot of rich teaching in this book, and we're going to be breaking it down. So let's get started. Let me just say that from the beginning of this study, we've stated that the book of Acts is a picture of God's redemption story from the birth and the life of Christ 
to the clarification and now effect that that gospel has on the church and ultimately on the world. I mean, Acts is about the church. It's, it, it, we're seeing the function of the church, the dynamics of the church, and the message that's clarified for the church, the gospel message, the, 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 the rich theology that is given to the church in the book of Acts, but all for a purpose so that we might take that message to the world. That's not just some people in the room. Every single one of us has a responsibility to share the gospel with the world. And that's what Vero Bible Fellowship should be known for. We should turn Indian River County upside down with the message of the gospel. It thrilled my heart a couple, a few weeks ago that we preached a strong message on sharing our faith and sharing the gospel based on what the scripture had given us. And I looked over and sitting right over here was Harry writing. Harry, you're sitting over here now today. Good to see you, brother. And Harry was sitting here in that message. And then I stayed around till service was over and all the people really had left. I was one of the last people out, out of the door. Went to my car, driving down, uh, moving east off of 66th Avenue, turning onto, 50, or onto uh, State Road 60, going east. I get to 58th Avenue and I'm the first person at the stoplight. And I look across the intersection and on the corner in front of Walgreens, either CVS or Walgreens, whichever one, Walgreens, thank you. I was right for once. Um, and I see Harry standing there right after church, going straight to the Walgreens parking lot, taking his signs and holding them, calling people to Christ. That is a picture of a believer practicing what he has learned in the book of Acts. That's a person who is committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not expecting everybody here today to go park at Walgreens and hold a sign, okay? That's just one way that we share the gospel. But let me tell you something. It's a significant way. And, and God's calling all of us to find our way through the Holy Spirit and His empowerment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Amen? All right. So we've also learned that there are three relationships. I'm just kind of giving you a little backdrop of where we've been so that uh, we're all on the same page as we move forward in this sermon. Uh, there were, there, we talked about three relationships that a person can have with the Holy Spirit. It's recorded in the Gospels and also here in the book of Acts. First of all, the first relationship is that the Holy Spirit is with us, with us. The Greek preposition is para, P-A-R-A. And the moment that we receive uh, Christ by faith and are born again, he comes into us. But before he's in us, he is alongside us. He's with us. Why? To convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is the work, that's the first work of, of the Holy Spirit in relationship to man, to bring man to a conscience-stricken state that he sees his sin for what it is and he repents and receives the Lord Jesus Christ. The second work of the Spirit is from the Holy Spirit being alongside of us, convicting us to the Holy Spirit coming in us. That happens at salvation when we are saved, okay? And then thirdly, he comes upon us when he empowers us to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you'll receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the first relationship, he's with you to convict you. You get saved, you're born again, he's in you. No person can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit in them. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates an unregenerate spirit. Every human being has an unregenerate spirit. And only the Holy Spirit can regenerate, can bring that alive. And he comes in you. And the Bible says that your body <coughs> becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and that he dwells within you. Amen. Then this third work is not only him coming in us. Obviously, the Spirit in us wants to fill us, right? He wants to fill us to the point of overflow. And that's where the third Greek preposition is used in Scripture, speaking of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. So it's with us, in us, upon us. <coughs> and that Greek word is ipi, E-P-I. And let me give you a passage. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when he comes upon you, what will he do? He will empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. <laughs> Excuse me, I want you to understand it this way. When he comes in me, it's for me. It's a subjective work of the Holy Spirit. He wants to grow me. Paul said that he wants to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Every day, that's a work that the Spirit is doing in us if we allow Him to conform us into the image of Christ. But then we start filling up, and, and we fill up to the point where his, the Spirit is overflowing us. It's not just for me. Now He is doing something through me for others. I've used the example of a pitcher of water in a glass, and if I start pouring from that pitcher, representing the Holy Spirit, filling me, and then he just keeps pouring, and he gets to the top, and you're like, okay, stop, that's enough. I can't take any more. It's like a fire hydrant. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm maturing, but I can't go any faster than this. And he's like, that's not just for you. And he just keeps right on pouring. And what happens? It overflows you, and it hits the table, and it spreads across the table. And it hits whatever else is on the table. That's the work of the Spirit through us. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's desire is not only to grow you and mature you, but to use you to impact the lives of other people. Do we understand that? If we do, we practice it. Because the reality is, we behave the way we believe. We can say we believe it. But if you're not behaving in the sense of letting the Spirit have control of you and flow through you and out of you, then you don't really believe it. And this is something we need to be careful of as a church, that we not miss this wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. And He does it differently in every person. It's just incredible. I, 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 I love the stories that I hear from people and how the Spirit of God reached them, how He filled them, and what that meant to them, their identity changed, and then how He's used them since then. Every human being that knows Jesus has that story. It looks different, but it's the same thread that the Spirit is working in us. Amen? Now, it was on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit rested upon each of them, 
And last week we talked about the significance of those three phenomenon that took place, those supernatural events that took place. One was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. That is, we talked about being a picture of the Spirit coming with power. When you talk about a mighty rushing wind, we all know about that in Florida. Called, it's called a hurricane. We've experienced those quite a few times. And what is, what is it that stands out about a hurricane? The power of the wind that can literally knock a house down. And so that's what the Holy Spirit brought, was power to embolden us to be witnesses. Secondly, it said, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's that Spirit coming upon them. But for what reason? He's using the term or the picture as of fire coming upon each one. Well, there's a lot of references in Scripture as to what fire can mean, but I think one of the significant references is purity. God uses fire to purify us. Listen, before the Holy Spirit can make us witnesses to the world, He comes upon us and He purifies us inside. He wants to do that work in us. We need to be a witness of Christ. We need to be holy in our living. I'm not talking about a duties. I'm not talking our duties or or legalism. I'm talking about having a heart bent towards God to follow God and obey His commands. And when we take that, that track, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit is able to use your, your life to impact the lives of others. And then thirdly, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit came, if, if you want to qualify what it meant, that the Spirit divided out and came upon each of them and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. You're talking about the Spirit coming with a universal impact. Every one of them was given the Spirit, and as they spoke, what were they speaking? The mighty works of God in the languages of the Jews that came from all over the known world to gather for the Feast of Pentecost. They were hearing their own languages. So the Spirit came to reach the world, okay? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we see that universal impact, and we are part of that. We're part of that impact. Now let's pick up at verse 12 and look at this sermon. I want to move through this quickly if we can, but I, I do want to cover uh, and expound upon this message. Verse 12, let's back up. And all were amazed and perplexed when they, when they heard their language spoken by a bunch of hicks from Galilee. These guys were just country boys from Galilee. And here they are, they're hearing their own language, these men speaking. And so they're wondering, what's going on? What does this mean, they said? Verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So whenever God's Spirit is at work in His people, there will always be some who will say, what does this mean? That's a good thing. You want people, when they see you living your life in such a way that it honors God, when you are ministering to people and the Holy Spirit is working through you to help someone, when these experiences take place in our life, you're hoping that someone will come and say, what, what does that mean? That's a good thing. But just as there are some saying, what does that mean? There are others saying, what the heck? These guys are crazy. That guy over there, he is nuts. We actually had a meeting at the office and he asked if we could pray together. Are you kidding me? 
there's always going to be the mockers. Okay, when King David brought up the Ark of God to Jerusalem, his wife Mahal saw him coming up with the instruments, with the vocalists, the singers, and David had taken off his royal robe and still had his undergarment on. He was not naked. I've heard some commentary say that he was, na- he was not naked. And David was dancing in the spirit as the ark of God was finally being returned. And, and Mahal, his wife, was livid. When he came in the door, she let him have it. What a spectacle you made of yourself. You embarrassed Israel. You embarrassed me. I'm your wife and I'm embarrassed for you. You, you, took, off your outer, you took off your kingly garment. You were no longer kingly before the people. And David's response was basically this. I didn't do it for you. I did it for God. I was caught up in the spirit of the living God. And she made the accusation. Even the, all the, the, the women, they saw you and what an embarrassment. He said, those women know my heart. They know that I was worshiping God. I was not putting on a show of my body. And so here, Mikhail is the one who is mocking, criticizing her husband for worshiping God. And the postscript on that passage, the postscript, the last verse of the Bible in that passage is, and Mikhail never bore children. I I just want to say to you, that it's possible to be born again and be barren. Christians who will criticize other Christians for their worship. Christians who would even go to the point of saying, and it's possible, but it's not general that people, if they are having some experience in terms of pure heartfelt worship with God, that they're of the devil. Uh, it's possible to be born again and be barren. I pray that's not us. I pray that's not our church. I pray that's not you. I pray that's not me. I want to be alive in the spirit of the living God. Amen? And I want to worship with God's people. And while there are many different ways that people worship God, there's many postures to praise, yet it should be unto the Lord, not unto man. And God receives that. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now this is the same Peter and the same disciples who cowered in fear and hid after Christ was put on the cross and he died. Now they're standing in front of this huge crowd on the day of Pentecost. Millions of people have gathered from all over the known world, Jews, all of them. And these men stand and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those in the crowd were the very ones who conspired to put Jesus on the cross. Some of the religious leaders were present as Peter stands up. So what changed in Peter? What changed in the disciples that they go from these these weak, fearful men to these men who are emblazoned with power and authority in Christ? Well, the obvious is that uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And you would be correct. That's, that's part of the answer. It's a large part of the answer. 
But I'm going to point you back to the resurrection. That after they saw Jesus, after his resurrection, that had to strengthen and embolden them. And then let me give you one more that people seem to forget. Nobody seems to focus on this, but it's true. And that is, for the first time after Christ was resurrected and spent time with the disciples, he began to explain to them the redemption story of God through the Old Testament. Jesus actually taught disciples who he was on the road to Emmaus through the Old Testament scripture. Now all of a sudden the disciples of Jesus get it. They understand Christ in the Old Testament. Everything's fulfilled through Christ. It was about him. And that is where Peter is now confident as he stands. The, more, the point is, the more we know about Jesus from the Bible, the better equipped and the stronger we'll be in sharing our faith with others. If we never spend any time in the Word, you're not likely to say a whole lot to someone about Jesus. Oh, you'll say some things, he's my Savior, I love him, he changed me this way. But you won't be able to use the Word of God to minister to that person and reach their heart. It's the Word that changes us by the Holy Spirit. So it's important for us. For the first time, these disciples understood that Old Testament. They saw from the beginning all the way back to the beginning when the fall took place. They find Jesus in the words. And Abraham, when he takes Isaac up on the mountaintop, they see Jesus. All the way through all these prophecies, they begin to understand that would strengthen anyone who's going to stand before a crowd of Jews. And so verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them. And look what he said, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So Peter put to rest the notion that the disciples were drunk on wine at 9 a.m. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter shares the reason why. These, these different phenomena that just took place, he explains why they took place. And look what he says in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter is quoting the Old Testament. He sees Christ as the fulfillment. And he speaks of what Joel said. Verse 17, and in the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Let me just say to you, some teach that, that this day that we're studying, the day of Pentecost, was when Joel was fulfilled what he said about sons and daughters prophesying. I disagree. I believe that was the beginning point of the last days. When, when, when the Holy Spirit came, the last days are upon us, but they won't end until Jesus returns. That is the great last day, right? So what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. That what Joel said in the Old Testament is still happening in us today because Jesus has not returned yet. God's Spirit is still moving and still reaching souls for the kingdom. 
He is still conforming people to the image of Christ. This is the work. It's a beautiful work that God is doing. And so Peter explains that. Before he gets into the sermon, he has to explain the phenomenon, and he does through, through Joel, the prophet. Now, um, not everything that happens today according to the Spirit is of the Holy Spirit. There are churches that, that practice tribal rituals that do not fit anywhere in the Bible. And I've had numerous conversations with pastors who maybe get caught up in particular types of practices and ask them, can you show me in the Scripture the foundation for why you practice that in your church? And generally, they'll give an answer of, well, it's just the Spirit moving. But show me in the Scripture. And they can't. Or they don't. Or they go to a passage that's a, taken out of context. There was one pastor who was approached by a minister and asked to explain what was going on, and this pastor gave an erroneous response. It was a Pentecostal, a very famous Pentecostal preacher, and he was questioned over his practices, and here's the response he gave. He said, you have to realize that more can be cooked up in the kitchen than appears on the menu. He said, God is bigger than the Bible. And my response to that is, that's not true. The only thing we know about God is what is revealed in the Bible. Now, we know God is bigger than even just the Word. We're going to be delighted to find out and learn things when we get to heaven. But that doesn't give us license to go out and do whatever we think is spiritual. We need to base it on the Word of God. Anyone who's ministering to another in this church and someone says, what's the basis for that? Why are you doing that? You should be able to say to them, well, in this passage of Scripture, this is what they did. Maybe it's laying hands on someone. And somebody goes, what do you mean by laying hands on somebody? Well, you know, today the, the, the cancel culture will just ride that to no end. You explain it from the Scripture. You explain what's going on. And verse 21, it says, and, uh, and by the way, what happens when you open yourself to that? You open the church to sensuality. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about the five senses where everything is about me sensing something. I've got to have this sensual experience. We open ourselves to the belief systems of the world, to mysticism and all kinds of spiritual things. We have to, have a, a, we have to be tethered to the Word of God in all that we do. And if we can't base it from the Word of God, we shouldn't be doing it. It's probably not from God. So let's, let's be careful there. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is saying that from the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came upon the disciples until the final day of the Lord when Jesus returns, we are in the most incredible season or era of salvation. Even in the great tribulation, more souls are going to come to Christ than ever before. Jews will come to Jesus Christ in large mass. It's going to be an incredible outpouring of God's Spirit on this earth. But we're living in that time right now. Isn't it exciting 
to know that we live in a day? I mean, honestly, if you, if you were in heaven with Paul and you asked Paul, Paul, what period of history, if you could, if you could go back to the earth, what period would you say? He'd say, now, towards the end. More people are going to get saved now than ever before. Well, you're living in it. We have the opportunity to share Christ and see the Spirit do the salvation that people need. They, he can do it. We just need to be faithful with the message. Amen? And, and I, let me just uh, encourage you with this. It's not what you say. It's not how you say it. It's not how you dress when you speak to people. It, don't contextualize and try to make, well, I'm just not like others. I can't share the way some people can share. Listen, here's what the Scripture says about that. Jesus said in the prodigal son story, or in the, uh, the, the parable of the seeds, and of the, gra- of the ground, of the weeds, he said this, you just be faithful to broadcast the seed. There's going to be different types of soil that will receive the seed. Some will receive, one will receive it and be saved. Others will receive and reject. Others will just reject from the beginning. But you be faithful to broadcast the seed. He's making it easy on us. If we're just faithful to share the message, the Holy Spirit will do the work from there. So don't get caught up thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not like that other person. They've got that great personality. You don't have to have a great personality. Be outgoing, winnable, you know. I don't have to have woo factor in my favor. You just be faithful to share the seed. What's the seed? The Word of God. Amen? All right. And then he said in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God, of, of uh, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, what is the message that we have for the world? Well, Peter tells us. That when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, we must tell people about the life of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing you can share with someone. The greatest thing is not your story. I know what the scripture says. Testimony is powerful. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It, there's no question. But don't share your testimony and leave out the story of Jesus Christ. His life Paul said, or Peter said, his death and his resurrection. You want to cover those things. Cover them well. That's where redemption comes from, from the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So what the Old Testament foretold, the New Testament fulfilled. Jesus Christ and him crucified, Paul said. Here Peter beelines to the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus is Messiah, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. Now, in verse 22, Peter sums up the life of Jesus. In verse 23, notice, he talked about the death of Jesus. And in verse 24, he spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. In 30 seconds or less, Peter covered the life, the death, and the resurrection. Let me tell you something, that's good preaching. Peter was a good preacher. He covered it, he clarified it to these Jews. 
Then verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That verse is a fascinating verse. It's fascinating because it reveals the tension between sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. If it was God's definite plan and foreknowledge that Jesus be put on the cross, how can it be that man killed him? You want the answer? Beats me. When you get the answer, please give it to me because I don't get it. I, I don't. I can't figure that out. My little pea brain can't go that far to understand how God could order the whole thing up and yet it was man that put him to death. But all I can tell you is there is sovereignty of God in that and there is responsibility of man in that. And so that's all I can tell you. God is in control, total control. Yet man has responsibility. God's will is worked out, yet man is accountable. The scripture teaches it over and over again. All I can do is point you to these two things. I cannot tell you how they marry. I don't, I don't get it. When we get to heaven, God will explain that one to us, I, I'm, I'm sure. J.B. Phillips, great theologian, said, if God was small enough for us to figure out, then he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. I like that. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Here's why. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In Romans 3.23, we learn that the wages of sin is death. We also know that Jesus never sinned. Therefore, therefore, death could not hold Jesus. He took my place. He took your place on the cross. He took our sins upon himself. He didn't become sinner. Jesus never sinned. He was fully God even while he was on the cross. But he took on our sins like a sacrificial lamb. And he died for us. And then God raised him. Why? Because he, Jesus, who is God, never sinned. God raised him from the dead. Verse 25, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter again goes back to the Old Testament. Now he's quoting King David. Why? Because he's speaking to this Jewish audience. These people revere King David. And, Jesus, and now Peter is speaking of King David, but pointing them towards Jesus. This is a prophecy given by David regarding Messiah. Did you know that David was a prophet? It says it right in the text. Look at verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that both he, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So David saw decay. So what he's saying about not seeing decay, uh, it wasn't him because he's still dead. Being therefore a prophet, David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, the Christ, the Christos, anointed one, that he, might, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus that David spoke of, prophesied about, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. What does that mean? 
We saw him after his resurrection. In fact, 500 people saw him after his resurrection. I imagine in that crowd, some of them might have seen Jesus after his resurrection. If they hadn't, they would have spoken up at that point and said, whoa, wait a minute, you're off your rocker. They didn't. They continued to listen because there was truth in what Peter was saying. That is proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ found right here in the text. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I want you to notice here that David called his descendant, because Jesus came through the bloodline of David. He calls his descendant, my Lord. Know that in Jewish custom, they would never call an offspring their Lord. Okay? So that had to catch the crowd. Why, why did he not call him his Lord? Or why did he call him his Lord? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just Son of David. He's Son of God. In verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. They came under conviction. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was there as Peter was speaking. He was speaking, listen, he was empowering Peter to speak boldly. He was reminding Peter of the scriptures that Peter quoted in his sermon. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is alongside these Jews who do not know Jesus as Savior. And he's convicting them. It says right there that they came under conviction. They heard this and were cut to the heart. Now think about that. They heard a hick fisherman from Galilee preach a sermon and all of his disciples that were with him all the disciples also hicks mostly from galilee and they were all speaking earlier in the languages of these people from all over that known world from asia minor to africa all the way to rome they heard the languages and they know these hicks don't know those languages it was the Holy Spirit doing everything in this picture. And the Holy Spirit brought these men under conviction because of Peter's faithfulness to let the Spirit use him. You will be used by the Spirit if you are willing to surrender and let him use you. God will do a mighty work through you. You'll see people come to Christ just by being faithful to broadcast the seed, which is the word of God, wherever you go. And Peter went on and he said in verse 37, and by the way, when the gospel shared like this, those who receive the gospel need to respond to the gospel. It's not just sharing it, it's staying, you know, after you share the gospel and somebody's listening, that's good. But don't just walk away. Now, just stand there. Wait for a response. You have to respond to the gospel. You can't just hear the gospel. Now, those who don't the light doesn't come on, they don't get it, they'll walk away. They'll look at you like you're crazy. But those whom the Spirit is drawing to Himself, they're going to probably ask, so what do I do with it? 
wow, that's an amazing message. I've never heard the gospel before. So what do I do? And that's what they said to Peter. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay? Now, interesting. They're thinking that, the, that salvation is something you do. What shall we do? He's going to share with them and reinforce, I'm sure, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you on the cross. But now that Christ has saved you, now there's something you should do. Well, first of all, you repent, and He saves you. And then be baptized. Be baptized. Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of, the Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just love that. It's such a simple message. Be faithful to share it. Let the Spirit do His work. Some will reject. Some will laugh at you. Others, they're going to contemplate, walk away, and the Spirit's going to continue to work on them. And others are going to say, what do I need to do? And you're going to have the opportunity to tell them, just repent of your sins. Realize that Jesus can forgive you. So repent. And then get baptized. Next Sunday we have a baptism service. Baptism is an analogy. It's a picture. It's an example of someone who has gone from the old life into a new life in Christ. It's a picture of someone who was living out of the flesh and was unregenerate in their spirit to being saved and now regenerated and living a new identity in Jesus Christ. When you are lowered by immersion under the water, the old you is dying. And then when you're raised out of the water, you come up new in Christ. Again, I'm not saying that the act of baptism is what saves you. It's a picture of the salvation that you received. And we need to make a public profession of our faith. That is real important. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior through repentance of sin, listen, you need to be baptized. It's not an option. Peter didn't say, well, repent and then think about baptism. It might be for you. No. Repent and be baptized. It's not optional for the believer. You do it. Why? Because Christ did it. And Christ compelled you, compels you to do it. You obey the Scripture. So if you've not been baptized, I've explained to you what it, is, what it represents. It's a picture to everybody, to Satan. Everybody in this world, and even those that are of the Spirit, will now know and see a picture of you standing publicly and making a profession of faith in Christ, that I am no longer the same person I used to be. I was lowered under the water. God's Spirit, God, God, He died for me. He gave me new life through His resurrection. And I come out of that water, and it's a picture that the whole world can see. 
I pray you'll consider that. If you have not been baptized, you need to go to the back of the room before you leave, after you fellowship with one another, and that's a big deal here. But go to the back of the room, sign up. Attend the baptism class. It's going to start like 15 minutes after we close service. It's not going to take long. It'll take you about 15 minutes to go through it. It's not a long class. Who's teaching the class today? Doug, stand up, Doug. I just want to see you. This is Doug Hampson. He's one of our elders, and Doug will be teaching that class. Doug, where would you like him to join you? Back in this little room? So go down that hallway and to the right. Thank you, Doug. Okay, that's how we do it. That's how we obey Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. Those of us who know you, how you're compelling us, you're strengthening us, you are giving us understanding as to what it means to be a witness for Christ. Those who do not know you, Lord, I pray that today some would have been saved by your Spirit. We know that it's not by a prayer, it's not by standing, it's not by coming forward that we receive Jesus. We receive Christ the second that we repent, the second that we recognize that we're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is God and He is our Savior. And we believe in Him, we trust Him, we place our life in Him. And we thank You, Lord, that You immediately, instantaneously, by the Spirit, regenerate us. And the Spirit comes and lives in us. And now we're able to understand Scripture. We're able to be conformed every day to the image of Jesus. We give you thanks for that. Thank you for the work, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, church. Make sure you stay around for a little while, fellowship. I've already met several new folks. Great to have you today. And uh, love one another.